whole curse of sin and death will be completely done away with. There will be no remaining sin or death. But Lord, we will have life forevermore. Lord, we long for that day. But we thank you, Lord, that now we get to be the ones who take the good news that the only way out of that certain death is Jesus Christ, the one who has been substituted in our place. So may we be reminded of that as we open your word and go out as people with that good news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We are a pretty um, blessed and fortunate group of people um, in the fact that when one person is down and out and not able to to play, um, God has blessed us tremendously. Has he not just to have people who can step in and play? And uh, they just got together this morning and started (laughs) putting that together. So it's a lot of fun to, to hear what the Lord can do with his people. So I'm thankful for all of you. Please continue to pray for Dan. Um, he's uh, about ready to take that neck brace off and throw it at a lot of people. So if you could just, <laughs> including Cindy, that's what she said. Yeah. But that, that one I can deal with. That's marriage counseling, and that's, that's my thing. So the rest, of, I can't do anything about HR or the doctors, but, you know, everything else I can handle. Um, would you turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12? Uh, as we continue on in our series in Exodus, this story of redemption that we're looking at. And as we're in our series of Advent sermons, we're looking at this text from Exodus 11 through 13, looking at this Passover um, where God shows up in judgment but also in mercy. And that's really what we see fully and finally in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that God shows up in judgment and in mercy. And so we don't want to miss that. It seems like an odd time of the year, I know, to be talking about the Passover because it's usually around Easter time. But Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we're reading in the Old Testament. And if you remember, all the way back at the beginning of the story, when God created humanity, He created Adam and Eve, and and there in the garden they sinned against Him, wanting to choose their own path, wanting to figure out for themselves what right and wrong is, wanting to make their own way, that God also then, in response to that, brought a curse upon mankind, upon the earth, and upon the serpent. And we don't want to lose track of that because not only did God bring that curse, and that curse has been hovering over all of history from that point forward, but He also made a promise. And the promise was that He was going to have a Redeemer, one who was going to come, a seed of the woman who would come and would ultimately crush the serpent. He would take the infliction of the wound and the death from the serpent by the biting of the heel that all of us deserved. And in doing so, he would also crush the head of the serpent and therefore set his people free. And we've been waiting through the entirety of Genesis and now into Exodus 12 for this one who would be the promised one, this Redeemer, this promised Messiah who would come. And we keep thinking we might have him. We might finally have him when we get to the story. And now we're in Moses, and we're going, maybe we have him here, because Moses is going to be used by God to redeem his people out of slavery to the Egyptians. Maybe this is showing that Moses is the one we've been waiting for. But we're going to find out pretty quickly that Moses isn't the one. Okay? We're going to find out that Moses doesn't even get into the promised land that God promised, so he can't be the redeemer of his people and the one that would be a blessing to the ends of the earth, to all the nations. But God is working to accomplish this purpose of reversing the curse, and he's going to do it fully and finally in Jesus. And up to that point, we're going to get picture after picture after picture of these little redeemers who are going to come and do God's redemptive work that are all going to point us forward to the ultimate redeemer, 
in Jesus. And so that's where we are in the story. God's people are in, enslaved in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. And now God is delivering them through Moses and Aaron. And we come to this point in the story where God's doing that by not showing how great they are, but showing how great he is. God is showing his righteousness. He's showing his judgment. He's showing his power. And he's putting on display that he is the only true God. And he's going to remind them of that when they get to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. He's going to remind them, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He wants us to understand who he is, but he's also distinguishing between those who are his people and those who are not. And so we come to chapter 12, the last of the plagues. And a lot of times we pay attention to all of the stuff that goes on around the plague. And we're going to do that today as well. The, the lamb and the bread and all of that. And that's really important, but it, would, it wouldn't make any sense for there to be a lamb killed and eaten and some unleavened bread eaten unless there was a need for that to happen. And too often we, we skirt right past the danger in the story and get right to the deliverance. And I don't want us to get to the deliverance without understanding the danger. I, I just recently read a poem. It's really more of a, like a children's poem, a children's book. And it's actually what we're going to do on the 22nd at our Christmas service. So don't tell the kids. Um, but this is what we're going to do. Is, and it's this. The title of it is this. There's a dragon in my nativity scene. And all of you just squirmed a little bit thinking about a dragon in your nativity scene but there's a there's a scene in scripture that we're going to hit on on the 22nd that we don't talk about at christmas and it's found in revelation chapter 12 and in revelation chapter 12 there's this scene that there would be one who would be a redeemer who was going to be born of a woman and at the birth of this redeemer there's a great red dragon this serpent of old who is now hovering about waiting for this child to be born so he could devour him so they couldn't redeem his people. But God protects him. And God raises him up to be the Redeemer. And oftentimes we forget that that dragon of death and destruction has been a dark cloud over all creation since the fall in the Garden of Eden. And he's still at work today. But the good news is, with every dragon comes a dragon slayer. And we have a dragon slayer who has slain the dragon. And that's the one we want to celebrate today. So don't miss the danger. That's where I want to start today. So would you just follow along in your copy of God's Word, Exodus chapter 12. You can use the Bible in the pew back in front of you if you need. I encourage you to follow along. It says this, verse 1 of chapter 12. And remember, this is the promise of God that he was going to kill the firstborn. This is the, the tenth plague. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. 
Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. And he gives a very practical thing. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Why anybody would eat lamb raw or boiled in water, I don't know. But this is, he warns them not to do that. He gives them specific instructions. Roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Why? Because God's going to deliver you. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all... On all of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. I want us to stop right there because I don't want us to miss this grave danger that is hanging over all of Egypt. If you see it there, right there in the text, the warning from God in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn Egyptians. Is that what he says? That's his desire. That's his goal. His goal is to strike all the firstborn Egyptians. But what does he say he's going to do? He says he's going to strike all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Everybody is in equal danger. Death is coming to Egypt, and everybody in Egypt is in danger. You see, what the Israelites needed to understand is that their gravest danger was not their enslavement to the Egyptians, but it was estrangement from God. Their greatest danger was not that they were enslaved to Egypt. It's the fact that they were far from God. They were estranged from God because everybody's true danger is not the situation you find yourself in. How often do we pray to God saying, get me out of this, get me out of this, thinking this is the worst thing that could happen to us, and then six months later we're in a worse thing, right? I mean, how often do we find ourselves, get me out of this, get me out of this, because we have to come to a point of understanding that our gravest danger is not the current situation, the current enslavement that we find ourselves in, the current deliverance that we need. It's this fact. All people are under condemnation because of sin. That's our gravest danger. Our gravest danger is for all people is that sin leads to death. That's, that's what we need to come to terms with. Sin leads to death. And not just a, a, a death in our physical bodies, but an actual death for eternity. So the true, true danger for all people is sin that leads to death. And, and what what we've got to come to terms with here is that that was for the Israelites and the Egyptians. Both groups of people were under that umbrella of death. They needed deliverance. And it was going to only be by the mercy of God that some were going to get delivered. See, all of us had that same starting point. And that's sometimes really hard to deal with, that each of us have the same starting point, and that starting point is Sin that leads to death. That's each of us. All of us in here had that same starting point. Each of us, our gravest danger and greatest need is for God to get us out of that. It's not just that we need to get to heaven, it's that we need to get out of death. You see, 
Jesus didn't come just to get you to heaven. Jesus came to give you Himself as a substitute to get you out of the death and hell that you deserved. That's the good news of the gospel. The reason why God's judgment is just upon the Egyptians is because both the Egyptians and the Israelites deserve the same punishment. That's all of us. No one is exempt from that. In fact, that's really Paul's point in Romans chapter 3. His point as he goes into Romans chapter 3 in verses 9 and following is to tell us that people may not be equal sinners, but everyone is equally guilty. Let me make sure everybody heard me. People are not equal sinners, but everyone is equally guilty. So here's what can easily happen if we don't understand this. We'll say, okay, but I can look at my list of sins, and they may be bad, and I may feel guilty about them, okay? But that guy over there, his is so much longer, okay? I, I think I just described the political climate in America. Didn't I just do that? Did I, did I just describe the political climate in America where we're not actually talking like righteousness versus unrighteousness? We're just talking about whose sin is worse. And that's what we end up doing because there's no actual measure of righteousness outside of God. And if we use ourselves as the measure of righteousness, what we're going to do is we're going to think, well, I'm not as bad a sinner as that person. I actually have this conversation with people. It depends on who you think the worst person on the planet is, okay, or the worst person in history is. But back in the day, I would say things about, well, what makes you think you're so good? Well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Well, I hope not. He was really bad. We don't need more of him. But for us to think that because I didn't kill, you know, seven million people and try to exterminate an entire race means that I'm not guilty before God? What kind of fleshly nonsense is that? But that's where we hang out if we start propping up our own righteousness instead of God's righteousness. So I want to make sure you understand this. And can you put this up on the screen for me? Because I want to make sure they understand this. The true danger for all people is sin that leads to death. Everybody has this problem. And even though people may not be equal sinners, all are equally guilty. That's why we need the gospel. Romans chapter 3 puts it this way. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And before you go, I sure am glad that's not me. He just said it's all of us. There's no distinction. He'll go on in chapter 3 to say there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Death, this great dragon of death, hangs over all of creation and is coming to rest in Egypt in this story. And everybody is in danger. The whole Bible up to this point is full of this death hanging heavy over all creation. 
And here, God dives into the story and he, He's not going to let just death get the last word. He's going to dive in with substitutionary mercy, the same type of mercy He showed in the garden. We, we tend to think, first of all, about God cursing all of creation because of the sin in the garden. But do you remember what else He did? He also killed an animal. And taking the skin of that animal, He covered up the shame of Adam and Eve before He sent them out of the garden. Even in that moment, there was substitutionary mercy on His part. And He's going to continue that here. Because what God's up to here is He's marking out His people. He wants to make the distinction between His people. So God's mercy is going to be what marks out God's people. God's mercy will mark out God's people. God's mercy is going to redeem God's people from slavery. Yeah, they're going to get out of slavery. And praise the Lord for that. They're going to get out of Egypt. But He wasn't just about getting them out of Egypt. He was also taking them to the promised land. He's not just getting them out of slavery. He's also delivering them from death. God's mercy marks out God's people. God's mercy redeems God's people from slavery. And God's mercy redeems God's people from the death that we deserve. Don't miss the danger. And skip to the deliverance. Because the deliverance seems to mean a lot more if we know how much danger there is. Think about that. Just think about that for just a second. If you tell your kid, I was just reading, and I posted it yesterday. This is a, a group of memes. And I know any mom who has a toddler appreciated them if you saw them, like, or any grandma with a toddler appreciates them. It was just a bunch of pictures with reasons why their kids were crying. Okay? The first one, she wouldn't let me, I wouldn't let her run into the road. Right? One of my favorites was, I, would, I told her she could not get into the dishwasher. Right? She asked for two M&Ms. I gave her two M&Ms. Her brother said the word green. Wait, wait, if you've had toddlers, you know exactly what's happening, right? It doesn't matter. We'll cry. They'll cry over anything, and we're the same way. Let's just, we're, especially us men, we'll cry over anything. It's like we just start to whine and complain about stuff. But here's what happens, okay? If all of us are in the same position, right, and all of us have the same need, God could come along and just go, just complain about it, because that's what you're going to do anyway. Right? He could just tell us, that's fine, cry, 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 but I'm not going to hear your cries. But he didn't do that. He heard the cries of his people. And in hearing the cries of his people, he didn't give them what they thought they wanted. He gave them what they needed. That's what it looks like to be a parent, right? That's what it looks like to understand the cries of the person you love. So he reaches down in and gives himself a, a symbol to mark out his people. He's not going to let his people just continue on in their death and destruction. But he's also not going to give them just what they think they want. He's going to deliver them from what they really need deliverance from. So that's where this symbol, this sign of the Lamb comes in. And so he tells them really plainly what to do. Look, look at the verses. Verse 12, he says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I'm going to show myself to be God. And then he says this. 
The blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. The lamb, the Passover lamb, is a sign. It's a sign of God's mercy. Here's what, here's what our kids need to understand about us as parents. Me not giving my children everything they want is a sign that I love them. Right? We, we wish our kids would learn that, right? The fact that I'm not giving you this right now is how you know I love you. And then when we give them things that they don't think they want or don't think that they need, they go, oh. But they're marked out in that gift that I give them as who? Mine. Do they deserve it? Most of the time, no. Right? But do I still give it out of mercy and love and grace and because I'm their father? Because, right? Are you, is everybody tracking with me on this? Everybody's in the same position. Nobody deserves God's mercy. So the way God shows who His people are is He gives mercy to some of them. It's not that He's just bashing the other people. He's just not giving mercy to them because they're not His. He gives mercy to those who are His. And He has the right to do that because He's God. And this Passover lamb becomes a sign that God has shown mercy to this household. Now, here, here's the thing you have to understand. Also, Moses did not exactly have a secret meeting about this. He's saying this openly to the leaders. It's not like he's knocking on doors. Okay, guys, at midnight, I'm going to run through the square going, the redcoats are coming, the redcoats are coming. Or like, two of five, right? You know, it's like, no code. It's, Bring a lamb and kill it. Bring a lamb and kill it. This is how you're going to get delivered. This is the message that he's proclaiming. When Noah was building the ark in front of a world that deserved to all be destroyed, he didn't do it in secret. There was nowhere to hide the ark. He did it right there. And for a hundred years, he's telling everybody, judgment's coming. And this judgment has been foretold. Now for weeks and months that this judgment is coming, there's, there's nothing that's secret about any of this. But it's only the people who believe that God is judge and that God's way is the only way to receive mercy that will put blood on the doorpost. So this blood becomes a sign. A sign, first of all, of God's mercy and grace. That this way out of death is an act of God's grace. They couldn't come up with this themselves. They couldn't share it with somebody else, right? Only if they didn't have a lamb could they go to a neighbor, right? If they didn't have enough people or didn't have a lamb, they could go to a neighbor and share. But it's not like one of those things where somebody would go, oh, I'm an Egyptian. I'll, uh, I'll kill a lamb. I'll just, like, I'll just prick the, the leg of a lamb, get a little blood, put it on the... I, they couldn't go through that. If I were an Egyptian, you know what I would do if I heard this was going to happen, judgment was coming? I'd have probably left town at the Nats. I mean, kids were going on vacation for a while until this whole God and Pharaoh thing is settled. That's probably what I'm doing. I'm just getting out of town. But no one can escape this because this is the plight of every human being. They couldn't go and just say, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I mean, that'll do. No, he gives them like actual, actual rules on what to do because it's, 
It's His mercy. It's not their work. God's providing a way, and that's an act of mercy and grace, and this blood is a sign of that, but it's also a sign of a holy fear. Look, they're told not to come outside. If you, if you keep reading, they're told not to go outside. Look at verse 21. Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lands for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destruction to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the peoples, a people of Israel and Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. God is giving them a sign of his mercy and grace, but it's also as soon as you begin to put that blood on the doorframe of your house and then you go close the door, it's a sign of holy fear. You know that God is going to show up in judgment. Why do you think when you talk to most people about Jesus, they're not interested? Because they don't believe that Jesus is anything other than a good dude from 2,000 years ago. If they believe in him at all, he's nothing but a good teacher from 2,000 years ago full of love. They don't realize that the lamb who was slain is coming back as a lion to judge. They don't realize that next time he shows up, it's not long-haired hippie Jesus. It's eyes burning. It's a sword in his hand. They don't realize that he's also the judge. They don't know and they don't fear with a holy fear that the one who paid the price for them is also the one who will judge them. When, when God said, take the hyssop, dip it in, and put the blood on the doorframe, you did it and you closed your door out of holy fear, which really is a sign. So we're looking at this lamb as a sign, which is really a sign of saving faith. So I want to make sure you understand this. Them putting the blood on the doorway did not save them. The first thing that saved them was God in his mercy providing a lamb in the first place. It's God's mercy and grace poured out on them to give them a way out of the death and destruction and the judgment that was coming that was really the act of salvation. What they're doing by killing and eating the lamb and by spreading the blood is an act of faith in response to God's act of mercy and grace. That's what's happening here. And God has been good to give us all kinds of signs and symbols of His redemptive plan. In the Old Testament, it's circumcision, right? You are the people of God. You are the people chosen out by God, so you get circumcised. You don't get circumcised to become the people of God. Same thing with baptism in the New Testament, right? Getting dunked under some water is not magical and doesn't save you. But you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, so you take on the sign and the symbol of that new creation. You get baptized. 
This is what God does. And that's why it's important for us to follow these signs and symbols of his redemptive plan. Because here in this story, this Passover lamb is a sign of God's mercy and grace and a sign of saving faith. But it's so much more than that. This Passover lamb is also a substitute. Look at what we just read just a moment ago in verse 21. He tells them to go do this, to go and select lambs, to go and take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood. And then he says, why is that going to happen? Why do you need to do that? Because the Lord's showing up and he's going to pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. I want to make sure you understand this. If the blood's not there, death comes to that house. So the lamb was a substitute death for the death of the firstborn in that home. Here's a better way of putting it, maybe. That night, someone or something was going to have to die in each home. That was the judgment. The judgment was death. And it was a fair judgment because everybody was in sin. But God provided a substitute. Something was required to die in each household on that night. Either the firstborn or a substitute lamb. Verse 3 tells us, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb and according to their father's house a lamb for a household. Each household, no one could escape this. Every household needed to, needed to do this. And, and here's what you need to understand. No one could do this for you. No one could, no one could kill their lamb and just give you some blood. No one else could be your substitute. It was only what God provided. You couldn't come up with your own path because we're really good at hearing there's a, there's a narrow way that leads to life and there's a broad way that leads to destruction. But man, I sure like the third way, right? The third way is I can take just enough of the gospel and just enough of the world to be comfortable in both places. I hate to tell you that's just the, that's just the left lane of the broad way. That's, that's actually the, the fast lane to destruction. That's all it is. And you could go in this moment. You could say, hey, can I borrow some of your blood? Because I need some for my doorpost too. And that wasn't going to be good enough. Because it wasn't just about killing. You had to consume this lamb as well. Something was going to be required in each household. And so what God is teaching here, what he's instituting is what's going to be the basis for redemption from this point forward. Substitutionary atonement. That there was going to be an atonement necessary for sin. And it was only going to happen if there was a substitute. You were going to pay for your sin or there was going to be a God-provided substitute for your sin. Here, what does he give? He gives a lamb. And if you look back through it, look at verse 5. In verse 5, this lamb had to be without blemish. It had to be a year old. It had to be a lamb for each household, verses 3 and 4. The lamb had to have its bloodshed. The lamb had to be completely consumed by faith. You couldn't say, I never really liked that lamb. It's the run of the litter. Let me take it. I'll use it. No, lamb without blemish. Oh, that old sheep over there, I'll take it. It's tough. It's not going to be any good to eat anyway just a one night thing and honestly if we don't like it 
He says to burn up the rest of it tomorrow morning anyway. So no leftovers necessary. We could we could boil it for a really long time and maybe it'll loosen up a little bit. Nope, you're not able to boil it. Are, are you with me on this? You you couldn't come up with your own path. You couldn't take some of what God was saying and say, I like that part, but I'm going to come up with my own way of doing it. You didn't come up, get to come up with your own methodology. God said from beginning to end, this is the way. And the same thing is true of Jesus. The same thing is true of what's required for salvation from death for eternity is that there is only one way. And we don't get to rewrite what he tells us. We don't get to take part of it and not the other. We don't get to latch on to somebody else. We don't get to compare ourselves to other people. There was no Egyptian in Egypt going, yeah, but I'm not Pharaoh. Don't you understand? I'm not, I don't even have slaves. Like, no Israelites in my household at all. I've never been mean to a soul. There's no Egyptian who could claim that before God. And here's the thing. There was no Israelite who could claim it either. Remember who got sent back to be the deliverer? The Israelite who was also a murderer. You think it's by some happenstance that God would use the guilty to remind us that all of us are in guilt. The only deliverance that comes is by His mercy. The only deliverance that comes is by His grace. First Peter first, chapter 1 tells us this, You were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This lamb was going to deliver the people, not from Egyptian slavery, but from the death that they deserved because of their sin. And that's good news. But I hate to tell you, there's something this Passover lamb couldn't do. And I don't want you to miss it. There's something this Passover lamb couldn't do. First of all, it couldn't be a once-for-all sacrifice. What does he tell him to do? From this point on, Verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, why do we do this? Because it makes us remember that God passed over. So they're going to keep killing Passover lambs. So guess what? That Passover lamb that night wasn't good enough. And every year when they would kill a Passover lamb, it was supposed to remind them, I need a greater Passover lamb. I need a, I need a greater sacrifice. This Passover lamb isn't going to cut it for eternity. This Passover lamb gets me through the night, but it doesn't get me through eternity. And how often do we find ourselves wanting to wanting redemption for the moment, but not for eternity? What God is calling us to is Jesus who gives us redemption forever. This lamb could never be a once-for-all sacrifice. This lamb couldn't do what God promised He would do through the seed of Abraham and Sarah. What was His promise? That all the nations will be blessed. This, this lamb was only for the Israelites. This couldn't be the once-for-all lamb. This couldn't be the final piece of the story. And finally, maybe most importantly, all this lamb could do 
will save you from the effects of your sin for a night. It can never take away your sins. This Passover lamb didn't make them any less guilty before God. So we can come up with all kinds of lesser ways to try to get redemption. But what we need, what we need is Jesus, who is our true Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us Jesus is the true Passover lamb. It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are in leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why John the Baptist could see Jesus coming towards him and say this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, Behold the Lamb of God who covers over the sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who is a sign that we're saved for tonight from our sin and our death. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you you call yourself a follower of Christ, and yet you may find yourself in that position where maybe that, that first holy fear that you had of God is not really there anymore. Like you know that death is all around. You know the dragon is still out there. But you kind of keep opening the door and peeking out and going, I wonder what's going out and going out in the street. Here's what, I, here's what I want you to know. Close the door. Stand under the Lamb who was slain once for all. In faith, trust Him. Wait it out. His promises are better. He said, I will take you into the land. I'm going to deliver you into the land. He's not just delivering you out of something. He's delivering you to and eternal life with Him. And if you're here today and you're searching for any other way to get there, it's fruitless. It's fruitless. If you're taking, want, want to take all the, all the fun stuff of Jesus, all the stuff that you can really you know, grab onto and say, you know, I can really get behind that, but all the rest of it, you're kind of like, you know, whole sacrifice stuff, all of that. Yeah, He had a lot of people around Him like that on His earthly ministry, and this is what He said to Him, get behind me, Satan. That's what he said to people like that. What he said to people like that was, you have no part in my kingdom. And that's not my words. Those are the things Jesus told people because he realized, because you have to realize that if you're going to take Jesus as your once for all lamb slain for your sins to take away your sins, then what you get in his place or what you get in the place of your sins is you get him. That's all you get. There's nothing left. You get Him to fully consume, to feed you, to be enough for you. That's all you get. You get Him. I want you to know, as someone who's been following Christ now for 30 years, He's enough. He's enough. I pray that He's enough for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the Lamb slain once for all redemption for the nations to take away our sins. I thank you for this picture in your word telling us of this substitution, this in our place work of mercy and grace that now marks us out as your people. That those of us who are 
under that blood of the Lamb sacrificed for us now have life forevermore. We've escaped the judgment that comes to everyone because we have one who took the judgment for us. Lord, I thank you for that good news. Help us to take it to everyone we know. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you're a guest or